Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Good morning. My name is Trig, with a G at the end. I am friends with Trey with a Y at the end, and uh, I'm just so grateful to be here, but I am a tired and weary dad of two toddlers that woke up an hour early this morning, so let's just open again in a word of prayer. God, we need you this morning as we enter week 70 in the book of Matthew. But we love that, Lord, even as we think about that. Every word in your book is given with intention and purpose to shape us, to form us, to make us look more like you. And that's what we get to do this morning. We sit under your text, Lord, and we say, teach us, mold us. Uh, We are just clay pots, but we are filled with your spirit, and we are precious in your sight. And so as we learn about the parables that are to teach us about what the kingdom of heaven is like. I pray that we would reflect on our own lives where we fit in these stories as you challenge us to know you better. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open that up. Or if you got your cell phones, open up that Bible app. Uh, click on Matthew, hit chapter 25, and we're in the first 13 verses Uh, It is titled, The Parable of the Ten Virgins. Uh, Another word for virgins, though, could just be bridesmaids, if that helps you kind of understand contextually how it interplays with the language that we would use today. Uh, So this is the parable of the ten bridesmaids, or the parable of the ten virgins, in the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, Jesus says this as he teaches. He says, at that time... The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps, other word used in other translation, torches, and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of the virgins were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take extra olive oil with them, but the wise ones took flasks of oil with their lamps. And when the bridegroom was delayed a long time, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, the bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up. They trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil, please, because our lamps are going out. No, they replied. Then there won't be enough for you and for us. But go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom finally arrived. And those who were ready... That's the key word right there. Those who were ready went inside with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the other virgins came to, saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. And these are some of the most sobering words in all of Scripture. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I do not know you. Therefore, stay alert or watch because you do not know the day or the hour. You ever wonder when Jesus is coming back? I mean, I do. 
People like to talk about it a lot. We've got wars and disease and brokenness and marriages falling apart. And sometimes we're tempted as Christians just to pray the prayer that I think he's okay with us praying, Lord Jesus, just come. You know, people love to talk about when Jesus is coming back during election seasons. And everyone seems to know, right? And Jesus is also concerned about when he is coming back as well in this parable, except for he's not so much concerned about when as he is with the question, will you be ready when he does finally come? In fact, you guys probably already know Jesus has been setting this thing up for some time, and Jesus usually does that with his parables, right? His parables are teaching some other principle, oftentimes that he's hit in concrete terms before. In fact, in chapter 24, Jesus begins to teach his disciples about the end of the age and in his second coming, and he makes it very clear to his disciples in 24 verse 13. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then he says in 24, verse 36, concerning the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and they were unaware until the flood came. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, he already says it, stay awake, watch, be aware. Therefore, you must be ready because he is coming back when you do not expect. And before we even get to today's text, Jesus is already introducing this tension and he's asking the question, are we ready? Are we spiritually awake? Are we alert? Are we watching for Jesus? Is our faith worth worth persevering for even in the midst of trials and temptations and the dark world that we endure because Jesus promises one thing it will require persevering and if we are going to persevere in our faith we have to prepare and so he tells them these things straight up in 24 his intent is that they would under Stand, And then like the good teacher that he is, he says, okay, if you don't understand what I'm telling you directly, I'm going to teach you in parable form. And Jesus starts as he starts many parables. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's going to be like. Okay? So there's a picture here. Uh, generally, Jesus' parables are teaching one thing, one thrust. There may be many applications, but he generally has one thrust. And the thrust of this parable is very simple. I'm coming back. There will be some that will be ready and some that will be not. Which place will you occupy? And this is where we begin, because I believe that Jesus is teaching us at least three things here. First, he wants us to know our place when he comes back. Second, he wants us to know the preparations for his coming. And lastly, he's trying to demonstrate the purpose of his coming. First, the place that we will occupy in his coming. Second, the preparations for his coming. And lastly, the purpose in his coming. 
So the scene that Jesus puts before his disciples is that of a first century wedding. Now we don't know a ton about first century weddings, but we can garner a few things. First, the weddings back then were similar, but also very different than the weddings that we have today. I mean, they did this stuff big. This was not your ordinary chicken and rice with an open bar of box wine and Bud Light until 1030. This is a week. This is days of feasting with the choicest wines and the best foods and the dancing and all of the pageantry of a wedding, but bigger and longer and brighter. And so as the feast would go on for days, it would be this time of celebration. You would celebrate the fact that these two parties, these two people were literally becoming like one. And just like today, there was a bridal party, and there was a groom's party, and on that big day, they would prepare to meet, and they would both be getting dolled up, getting prepared, kind of like we do today. And as they would prepare, the anticipation of this moment where the bride and the groom would finally meet would come together and there would be this procession from the bridal party's place to the place where the groom and his groomsmen were with all the pizzazz of a sparkler send-off, except for it wasn't a sparkler send-off, it was actually a welcoming and they didn't have sparklers, but they had huge torches that would light up the dark sky as they went. So the groom would be with his people and the bride with her people. That's the ten virgins in this case. And the groom and his mates would leave where they were at and the bridesmaids would leave where they were at and together they would prepare for this moment where they would meet with their torches and then they would bring their torches and they would sing and dance all the way to the groom's house where the banquet would finally be held. And these torches that they would carry were these big sticks wrapped with linen cloth on the top, dipped in olive oil, and then sparked up to create this ginormous flame. And so you could just see the picture of all these people dancing to this wonderful ceremony as their torches glittered the night sky. And being a bridesmaid is kind of a big deal in our culture, right? Like, I know, like, guys are like, I'd rather not be a groomsman. But girls are like, please, I'll be so offended if I'm not invited to be a bridesmaid. But even more so was it a big deal back then. And so you can feel the tension that Jesus is introducing that five of these bridesmaids would show up to this celebration completely unprepared. And so as the parable goes on, he describes the ten virgins waiting for all of this to start. And finally, when the groom shows up late, as always, as was customary in that culture, very customary. Back then, the groom might be three, four hours late for his wedding. Can you believe that? They would just be waiting. And Jesus' point is not that it was wrong for them to sleep, but his point was look what happens when they finally awoke to somebody crying out, the groom is here. Because as they yell, here comes the bridegroom, half check out their torches, and the cloth that was once soaked in oil is now crusty and dry, and as they go to light it, it will not ignite, but the other half 
grabbed the flasks that they had come prepared with, brimming with oil, and they redip their torches, spark it up, and the flame is ablaze yet again. And as the foolish virgins go out to the oil dealers to grab more oil, the groom finally comes. They process to the wedding. And when the foolish virgins come back, they knock on the door that has been shut and locked. They say, Lord, Lord. And the response that they get is very sobering. I tell you the truth. This is the truth. I never knew you. So let me ask you contrast this morning. Are you prepared to meet Jesus? Which place will you occupy at the wedding? This is Jesus' goal in this parable. It's to create a dichotomy. It is to divide people. It is to force a decision in your life. Which place will you occupy? Because the first thing that seemingly defines our place on that day is thinking that we have time when we don't. It's procrastination. My little daughter, Rama, she loves to do this. I do this too, so this is not me just knocking on my daughter. But oftentimes we'll have people come over to our house and we'll say, Rama, go, go into your room, clean up all your books, clean up all your toys, and get it ready for the guests to arrive. Go out into the living room, pick up all your stuff, and what do you know? Like, she just drags her feet, man. I gotta tell her four, five, six times. Eventually, the guests are walking up the driveway and she's scrambling to get all of her toys together and get them in place. And oftentimes, they're not ready. But mom and dad, you know, we're trying to be good parents, and so we're like, okay, we're not gonna pick them up for her. Like, these are, this is her responsibility. We want her to feel the magnitude of what it means to be hospitable, to get our house ready for our guests, and this is her responsibility. But how many of us have clutter and sin in our lives? And we just go like procrastinate, maybe even beginning a relationship with Jesus, or actually walking in intimacy with Jesus because of the garbage in our lives. I mean, this is true of me. I mean, I, uh, I'm in college. I'm doing my thing. God will wait. He'll wait for me. I can procrastinate my relationship with Jesus. Or, or let me figure out my career first. Let me make sure that I make the right amount of money, buy the right kind of house, have the right kind of car. Then I'll devote my life to Jesus. Or maybe we just want to get what we want in life before I really dive into an intimate relationship with Jesus. Or maybe we even come into church and we participate in all the religious trappings of the church, but we never really commit our lives to Jesus. We don't want to do the hard thing. But the problem with all of this is that it really just tells God that you don't trust that he's coming, or that even if he does, it's not that big of a deal when he shows up. And you think that you have time, but you may not. The groom is coming. 
Which place will you occupy? How spiritually sleepy are you? Do you have enough oil? He's coming back. Don't wait. Clean your room now. The urgency is here. What are the things in your life that need to be cut out? Cut them out now. Who are the people in your life that you need to forgive? Forgive them now. What bitterness are you living in? Release it now. What little idols and trinkets have you put your heart into? Give them up at the foot of the cross now. There may be no more time. And see, this is the point that Jesus wants you to hear. We should always desire to live ready and eager for the groom if we really know him and we really love him. And Jesus told this parable 2,000 years ago so we can know one thing for sure. We are 2,000 years closer to that day as time has just ticked by. Which place will you occupy, inside or outside of those doors? Do not be left outside because you are unprepared. But then that begs the question, well, what are the preparations for his coming? Let's look again at verse 2. Jesus says, five of the virgins were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take extra olive oil with them, but the wise ones took flasks of olive oil with their lamps or torches. The second proverbial question that is asked by the text is not just do you know your place, but will you be prepared? Because the ones that have enough oil are those that are anticipating that the groom will actually come. Do you anticipate that? Is the heartbeat of your life like, God, I just can't wait to meet you face to face. I am eager for your arrival. Do you seek him like you can actually meet with him? Are you eager? Because if you anticipate the groom, if you anticipate Jesus, then you will prepare for him. But that begs the question, how do we actually prepare for Jesus? And Jesus, I think, gives a one-word definition for the preparations, this anticipation. And the NET, which was what we read this morning, that's actually two words, stay alert. But I like the other translations, too. They just use the word watch. Are you watching for Jesus. And I believe that there are both inward and outward ways that we can watch for Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, kind of like Jerry was just talking about, are you watching for Jesus? Are you opening his word? Are you seeking to meet with him there? Are you watching for him? When you're in your car, do you just drown out the noise with the next podcast, the next playlist on Spotify, or do you watch for Jesus to show up? When you do small group and you hear about what God's doing in other people's lives, are you sitting there with the heart of skepticism, or are you just waiting to hear how Jesus is moving in other people's lives? Are you watching for him? Because as you watch, the oil in the flask of your faith will continue to brim and overflow so that on the darkest days, the darkest night, the torch of your faith will remain to be lit. 
And these are all the inward ways, you know, the inward ways that we keep the torches of our faith lit. And we'd like to talk about that so much today in our individualist culture, right? And those things are important, but if we only focus on the inward ways to prepare to meet Jesus, then we make our whole faith all about us. But Jesus actually talks about the outward ways that we can watch and prepare and stay alert to his moving in our world. In fact, if you read towards the end of this chapter, he gives you the exact definition of how you prepare outwardly to watch for Jesus in verse 34. Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since creation of the world. For I was hungry. I was hungry, Jesus is saying, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Being a Christian is not just watching for Jesus in our inner life. It's watching for Jesus in our outward life. I know a nurse that just got rocked by this recently. She's a nurse in the ER in the inner city. And this text had been top of her mind, and she had one of her patients come in, and it's at Grant ER, and so it's a level one trauma center. It's also in the inner city, so they get just a really diverse patient population. They see a lot of homeless people, and she remembered on one winter cold night, it had been extremely cold, so cold, in fact, that many people were dealing with frostbite, and she had a patient come in. It was a homeless man. And she said that when she walked into his room, she saw that one of her tasks in dealing with this homeless person was to get them washed and clothed and put into a gown. And so as she went to the shower, she said that the stench was just vile, like this person hadn't showered in eight months. And as they took off their clothes, their skin was crusty and red and full of dirt and, and, and like mildew and there was mold in their clothing. And then she said that they took their shoes off. And this person, as she gazed down at their feet, had no more toes left because all of them had been lost over the years of homelessness in the cold. And so as she began to bathe this man, she said that she just began to weep as she saw herself in him as Christ was in her. And she saw herself as this man before the God of the universe. And she heard the words, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. We are all a beggar with nothing before the God of the universe. Filthy in his sight, but by the love of Jesus, he washes us. And that is why we don't just focus inwardly on our faith, but we love people as if they are Christ, because Christ indwells his people. And so when we prepare to meet Jesus by loving the people that he indwells, we prepare to meet the real thing. 
And that'll keep the oil of your flasks brimming over. And we all know what it's like to get our torches of our faith lit for those 15 minutes by some mountaintop experience, but eventually the torch will go out again. And you need to prepare. You need to watch for Jesus, not just inwardly, but outwardly in your life if you're going to be ready for him. Those things will sustain you. And this is important because notice the parable's time of day. It's midnight, which tells us two things. Number one, we don't know when he's coming back. So we better be living as if it's five minutes from now. But number two, we're living in a dark world. Jesus doesn't promise ease. He doesn't promise that persevering in your faith is going to be easy. It's going to be dark. It's light to darkness. It's what contrast is all about. It is what you guys are, are trying to emulate into the city of Grandview. We want to be a contrast. We want to be that light in darkness. And this was so convicting for me because how many of us want to be like the foolish Bridesmaids, we bring our torch originally and it's soaked in oil. It's ready to be lit because we're living from a spiritual high of one experience, but we don't know where to go for more oil. Do you know where to go? There are places. You need to know where you can get more oil. You need preparations inward and outward. Are you watching? For you know neither the day or the hour, Jesus says. And you know what? This takes effort because so many of us want the benefits of the wedding without the hassle of preparing for it. We want the beauty of Jesus without the brutality of the cross. We want to save our life, not lose our life. We want the Bible, but not its demand on our little idols. We want discipleship without confession. We want forgiveness without repentance. We want the love of Jesus without having to actually love those that are unlovable in our world. We want the wedding, but we don't want to prepare for it. We want to come in here and just wait for this big bad world to, to pass away instead of engage with it. But there is no entering the wedding feast without preparing to meet the groom. And preparing takes effort. Do you have enough oil? There are two places. There are preparations. But Jesus also wants you to know the purpose of his coming. Look at verse 10. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom arrived. And those who were ready went inside with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut. And later the other virgins came to, saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I do not know you, therefore stay alert because you do not know the day or the hour. Do you know what our hope is as Christians? Our hope is in the gospel. But so many times I think that we talk about the gospel as if it ends in the resurrection. It doesn't. The gospel is not just that God moved into the neighborhood in flesh and bones. He took your sin and he took your punishment, 
and he rose from the grave, defeating death and sin forever. The gospel is that that same Jesus who came once is coming back again. And he's coming for his bride. And there will be a wedding banquet. And there at the wedding banquet, the groom is coming and we will be in intimate relationship with God the way that we were designed to be from the beginning, yet again. And the door will be shut. But the door will also be shut on every tear, on all sickness, on all disease, on every brokenness, on every war, on every miscarriage, on every divorce, on every sin in the book, all of that will be shut out from the wedding feast of the Lamb. And He is coming back to get His bride, the bride that He bled for, the bride that He died for, the bride that He pursued, that He so pursued, He became a tiny, puny human being and confined Himself to the limitations of our world to go and get. That is us. Do you know the love that Jesus has for you? But he came as a lamb. And a lamb is an instrument of sacrifice for you. And the lamb sits at the center of the story. From the beginning, the middle, to the end. And that's why in Revelation, we're given the picture that I believe Jesus is pointing forward to. There is a wedding feast, and this is what Revelation 19, 6 through 9 says. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of many thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, that's us, has made herself ready. Are we making ourselves ready? Are we beautifying ourselves for Jesus? Are we letting him beautify us? And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Here's the goal of God creating, of God coming the first time, and of God coming the last time intimacy. And we all know this instinctually when we go to weddings. We go, yes, that is a picture of, of, of how the world is supposed to operate. We know that that is the love that is supposed to uh, uh, exist in the world. And God says, this is the picture that I'm going to give you for what's going to happen in the end. There will be a wedding. And the point is intimate relationship with his people, period. But he will not force you to want to be in that wedding. You got to want it. This is not works righteousness. He bled for you, but you got to want in. Who would look at that and say, I don't want it? 
Because this is not a story of God being mean to the five virgins that were unprepared. They didn't care about the wedding. Do you care? Do you want to be there? Five went in. Five didn't. But all ten were invited. Everybody in this room is invited to the feast. Are you going to go in? The invitation is on the table. Take it. Because there will come a day when we don't even need the torches of our faith anymore because all darkness will be gone. Because you know what happens next in Revelation? It says this in 21 verse 3. The city does not even need the sun or the moon to shine on it or stupid little torches for a wedding because the lamb is its lamp. Jesus is the light of the world. And he calls you to be a little torch for a time. But there will come a time when you don't need that torch anymore. Because the lamb is the torch at the center of the city of God. When all things are done. You want to be there? I want to be there. You want in? I want in. But you got to wrestle with your place. you got to come prepared. And you got to know the purpose which is he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Such an intimate relationship, it, does, it doesn't even do the weddings that we do on this earth justice. It's so much, beyond, so much more beyond that. And so we're going to close and we're going to enter into a time of formation as you guys do here, a contrast. And I want you to think to yourself, are you prepared do you know your place? Do you know the purpose for which Jesus came the first time and the last time? But then also, how perfect is this? We get to also celebrate a time of the bread and the cup of communion today where we reflect not just backwards. That's not the only thing that we do when we think about communion. We don't just think of the blood that was shed, the body that was broken, but we just wait eagerly and we think forward to the wedding feast of the Lamb. He will be its glory. He will be the centerpiece. And there we will enjoy the choicest foods, the greatest wines, in the presence of God himself. And so as we reflect and we sing and we stand if you need to confess this morning to the Lord, you confess before you touch that table. And you prepare yourself as a bride prepares herself for her groom. And you reflect on the God that gave you that symbol of his love for you. A wedding banquet. He has come but he's coming back and he wants you there. Your choice this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we reflect on your teaching this morning, your words, I pray that we would prepare ourselves for you. 
As Revelation says, we are not the ones that clothe ourselves. You are. You put on the fine linens over our bodies. You make us clean in your sight. But Lord, you also invite us into your work. You invite us into your story to be little torch bearers, little image bearers of you, God. And so as we reflect on what you have already done, I pray that we also don't lose sight of what you will do, and that is come back to take us, to mold us, to shape us, to perfect us. Help us to see that this morning, not as bad news, that is good news, Lord. And there is an invitation, but that invitation does have an expiration date. And Lord, we do not know the day or the hour, even the Son does not know, but you know, Father. So help us to live ever awaiting, ever eager, ever prepared for that moment. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.